You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. Mary, you know, it was so great when I was in Cleveland, you lent me your copy of Bob Woodward and Bob Costa's book, uh, Peril, about what, not just the last days, I guess the last year in a way of uh, the Trump presidency, but a lot of things about January 6th. And when I went to Cleveland Airport, uh, the plane wouldn't work. It was missing a screw in its wing. I'm not making this up. And uh, so they had to decide whether or not it was okay to fly without a screw in the wing, which I got to tell you, in my first thought about it, I thought, no, I think we ought to have the whole plane before, <laughs> before we fly. But the, the pilot is expecting that he's going to go home to dinner tonight, so I'll trust him. As a result, I had about a four-hour delay and was able to read a lot of the book, which was, was so great. And it's really been on my mind now because um, the House has increased the number of subpoenas, uh, including a subpoena to one of my all-time favorites, Kellyanne Conway. So it's <laughs> it seems like if Merrick Garland decides that he should enforce these subpoenas, we're going to find out more and more about what happened. Although I suspect, frankly, Bob Woodward and Bob Costa have already found these things out. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I thought you might enjoy that book. Well, the other thing, just to like kind of um, talk about what that book is about, it isn't just about the Trump transition. It's a transition out or transfer out. It's also about Biden's transition in. So I thought that was interesting juxtaposing Biden's team of normal politicians trying to do a normal uh, transition in the midst of what was just chaos, complete and utter chaos. Not different than the way Trump had run his entire administration, but um, paranoid and panicky chaos at the end there. So I also have been watching the um, subpoenas that they're issuing with a great deal of interest because it does tell us something about how the investigation is proceeding and what a wide net is being cast. So Kellyanne Conway, she had quit by the time that time frame was going on, but she obviously was still in the fold. Um, and then you have random people that, you know, we've never heard about before, like the woman who was a staffer who was calling and bullying the people in the election folks in Wisconsin. And I think I heard the other day a tape recording of her calling to say, um, you know, I hope we can count on you to send the votes our way, something like that. You know, I don't know if you remember that. Um, so it's just you have from Steve Bannon to really what appear to be relatively low-level staffers, Stephen Miller, right, who was really the immigration guy. 
And I suspect that Trump was just talking to everybody and trying to enlist everybody and anybody to get on board to stop the steal. Well, I think you're right. Uh, What's striking me is how much this is a, that's the right word. It's like a whole White House, whole team effort. They're all getting together. And what a contrast to something else we were being told. I, I think you know something that is always stuck in my craw, and I'm pretty certain it was Mitch McConnell who said it, was like right after the election itself. He said, listen, we got to let, just let the president blow off some steam. That's this is the way he is. And he'll get over it and everything will be fine. Well, that wasn't even close to true. The truth was that all the people involved there at the White House, well, all the people except the ones who said, we can't do this and uh, uh, walked out, were actively involved calling states saying, find us some more votes, change this election. Uh, You know, Trump becomes the, you know, the biggest of them all when he calls Georgia and puts a number on it. All I need is 12,000 votes. Can't you look around and and get them? You know what all that reminded me of? Uh, Back when, when I was in sales in a manufacturing company and we'd be coming up to the end of the quarter uh, and we'd be close, like on our sales projections, what we needed. Uh, my big boss would call around to all the directors, all the salespeople, and say, listen, do you have an extra $100,000 in sales? Call the customer and see if that thing they always order, is, that they're going to order next quarter, if they couldn't do it this quarter so we can make our number. I. You know, that was crummy then. It's a lousy way to do business. But, you know, I've always felt Trump at heart was a salesman. And so he did what a salesman does. He got on the phone and worked the customers and said, don't you have an extra 12000 you can give me? We can, <laughs> we can push this over. Doesn't it sound like that, seriously? It does. And, and it reminded me about how, you know, when people's time is up, their contract is up, where they have to leave a job for whatever reason you know they just didn't want to go and those people were really enjoying like i always say they enjoyed the job and not the work and i think they loved all the trappings of being trump of being president everyone being close to him and you know they have i have read different you know analysis like why would people sell their soul in such a way when they could see that Trump was, you know, bad for democracy and not a good president. But the look that close to power is really um, seductive. And I think that you get this sense like, oh, no, we lost, but we don't want to lose and we want to keep our jobs. And so we'll all do whatever. They all kind of got sucked in to the mania of it. And then, you know, Trump, because he's, kind of a crazy person but it was like they were jacking each other up instead of the reasonable people had already left right i mean i think Barr saw what was happening he's like i gotta get out of here there's no good to be had in other words no one could calm them down 
And so they all, anybody who would or should have talked to Trump was gone. It was like the die was cast, kind of. You know what I mean? And that's the sense you get from that. So I think, you know, to go back to what the um, select committee in the House is doing, it's really important work because it's a story that has to be told of how we get to that place, how you could put um, the entire country and its governing system at risk because one guy can't accept the outcome of election. But you know, John, it wasn't just one guy. It was a bunch of people around him. Nobody stepping up and saying, okay, Donald, I know this doesn't feel good, but this isn't how the thing works. You can run again in four years. And who do you think it was that should have done that? And I, I'm going to lead with Mitch McConnell. Yes. Uh, you know, this guy was, I don't know, the most senior, uh, the most powerful Republican outside of the White House. It should have been him. It could have been the entire cabinet getting together and coming in. Uh, apparently, it was never really going to be Mike Pence. Uh, you know, although he stands up, excuse me, <coughs> on the constitutional duty, we don't get a sense from the reporting that he ever went into the office and said, Mr. President, sit down and be quiet for a minute, because I got to tell you the truth about about something. This is over. Uh, you know, we'd see it thinking back to Nixon as the Barry Goldwater uh, role, right? And right. that just never seems to have happened. Donald Trump, and this comes out, I think, in Woodward and Costa's book, was such a bully and would shout, yell, go ballistic uh, on anybody who came in. Although I I am surprised uh, there's, they relay a conversation much earlier, not about stuff to steal, uh, but about the election itself that uh, William Barr has with the president, where at least according to Woodward and uh, Costa, who we think uh, interviewed Barr, Barr keeps telling the president that he is something that I don't want to say on this podcast, but the first word begins with an F and the second with an A. Mm -hmm. and, and I really wondered, I can't imagine me going into any boss I've ever had and saying, people think you're an F.A. Uh, <laughs> much, much less saying it to the president of the United States. And I, that tells me in a way that that was simply the culture. People talked like that. Donald Trump talked like that. I agree. I mean, one of the things, and this isn't the only one of these tell-alls or these reported books that have reported this, that um, Trump swears a lot. Well, all presidents do and actually people in leadership do. But um, that I think that was surprising to me, just how profane, you know, he could be or how, I don't, I don't know. But I think it's a good point you're making, John, because you have to have some moral people with courage stand up. And McConnell, Lindsey Graham, 
should have been part of that meeting, right? Because he had access to Trump. And so, you know, you have Bill Barr saying that, you know, you have Millie trying to work behind the scenes. But was there a committee of people that could have gone in and changed um, Trump or, or got, had, got him to act reasonably? I'm not so sure about that because you had enough whack jobs around him uh, supporting him. And so all he has to do is not listen to them and keep going. And that's what happened at the end of the day. And the idea that you have this like war room with the likes of Bannon and Giuliani and Stepien, you know, which is another guy, you know, with such a tainted career. And they're, you know, sitting at the, the hotel, fancy hotel, eating fancy stuff and talking about overthrowing the government. Um, if it weren't true, it would be almost comical. It'd be like a Monty Python movie or something. You know, because they're, they're, it's not like the um, best and brightest of the United States were sitting in that room trying to figure it out. Let's just lay that no, out there. No, it absolutely isn't. And, you know, other administrations, I think Nicole Wallace has said this, but many other administrations, people who are in there have talked about what a bubble the White House can be. I mean, you put a lot of phrases there, echo chamber and whatever. But, you know, everybody talks about how the people who work there are a lot smaller than you think and that they're really kind of jammed into together and they spend the whole day kind of talking to each other. That's, that's what you do all day. And so once this begins, uh, that it's okay, this was stolen, but we can get it back, we can do the right thing, yap, yap, yap. And in the middle of this, crazies are wandering around. Rudy Giuliani is like walking in and out. Uh, a big lawyer, Eastman, is saying that uh, this is all okay. I wonder how many lower staffers or the ones that you mentioned at the beginning are starting to be included into this might have thought, well, at first I thought it was kind of crazy, but you know, all the bosses here think it's true. Right. Time to get on board, I guess. And, and you have a seat at the table and you can never forget how heady it is for the boss. And in this case, the president of the United States to ask you to sit in to discuss the most consequential issues of our generation. So, you know, yes, we can say all these people should have stood up and said, this is crazy. I'm not doing that. But put yourself in that situation and the moral courage it takes to say, this is crazy. You're an effing A and I'm on it here. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. So I, I sympathize a little bit with those individuals. And I think there's a lot to be found out through that select, select committee, much of which is going to be really interesting. And I just can't wait till they get to the point where they're doing hearings. <laughs> and they're done with Me. these secret depositions. <laughs> Me neither, because this all brings a good show tune to my mind. 
all these little staffers singing, yep, I'm there in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. <laughs> exactly. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.